Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Join Josh and Chuck, the guys who bring you Stuff You Should Know, as they take a trip around the world to help you get smarter in a topsy-turvy economy. Check out the all-new Super Stuffed Guide to the Economy from HowStuffWorks.com, available now exclusively on iTunes. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. Whoop, whoop, that's the sound of the police. Uh, I'm Josh Clark. Chuck Bryant's with me. Boogie Down Productions, old school rap. That's right, Chuck. Nice one. Good call. I love it. Yeah, so um, how you doing? I'm well, sir. Yeah? You? I'm doing really well, Chuck. Yeah, thank you, you for asking. Thanks. Do I look healthy? Yeah, yeah from, the, from the nose up. I've noticed that um, my face is becoming increasingly resemblant to a um, catcher's mitt, an old catcher's mitt. And not a compass. No, like a, a very round catcher's mitt, okay. a perfectly round catcher's mitt. How about that? Like one of those catcher's mitts from like the early days. Maybe my full name could be Compass Head Catcher's Mitt. It's a little cumbersome. So, Chuck, have you ever met a cat? I've got two cats. So you have. Oh, yeah, you've got uh, the Wiz and LeBron. <laughs> That's pretty close, actually. I'm impressed. The Wizard and LeBron. LeBron. Okay, yes. yeah, I just added a B. Right, and I would not name my cat after LeBron James. Why? Because he's currently killing the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, he's good, though, and a good guy here. Yeah, sure. So, Chuck, have you ever met a cat that could predict death? No, but I love this story. It's a good one. You mean the story of Oscar? Yeah, I remember when it happened. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I remember reading about it. Dude, I've got to pay more attention. Yeah, my wife and I share these animal stories with each other. Gotcha, okay. Like uh, Christian the lion who was taken to Kenya in the uh, 70s? I don't think there was not a tear or two shed in the, Agreed. the Bryant household. Especially the one, the version of it that was put to Aerosmith's... Um, yeah, I don't want to uh, miss a thing. Don't want to miss a thing, yeah. yes. Exactly, nice, Chuck. Uh, okay, well, back in 2007, the uh, New England Journal of Medicine, which is not exactly known for its sensational journalism, no. um, published a story about a cat named uh, Oscar. Yes. And Oscar was a resident at a uh, Rhode Island nursing home. Yeah, the Steerhouse Nursing and uh, Rehab Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, he was just a normal cat, aloof, kind of was like, hey, you're old and I'm staying away from you for the most part. Right. Uh, it was a home. It, it is a home for people with advanced dementia. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression that it has a bit of a hospice vibe to it here or there. Um, so Oscar, as I said, is generally aloof, except when you're about to die. Right. All of a sudden, if you're laying in bed and Oscar comes over to you and sits down next to your bed and starts hanging out with you, you got a couple hours left. Yeah. And uh, Oscar's actually pretty good at predicting death. Yes. Uh, he, there's at least 25 um, cases where he accurately predicted the death of a person in the Steer nursing home. Right. And Joshers, there was a rumor, there is a rumor on the internet going around that uh, Oscar met an untimely death uh, and there was a mysterious dented bedpan found near his lifeless cat body. Mm-hmm. Not so, because no. we just called... We called the Steer Nursing Home to find out. Yeah. Um, there were, there were, it was kind of vague. There were a couple of reputable news sources, e.g. the Savannah Morning News, uh, that carried that story, but they all appeared to be the same. Right. So Chuck and I, being the internet sleuths that we are, just picked up the phone and, and did it the old-fashioned way. And we called the nursing home, and Oscar is still alive and well and in the nursing home, uh, apparently predicting death as well. Right. Although she said that she was, she was looking at Oscar, I wonder if she meant Oscar's stuffed body. 
on the counter of right. the uh, check-in on that floor. But how hilarious is that, that, that Oscar would be murdered because patients didn't like him predicting their deaths anymore? So not true. Oscar's alive. And uh, what I must say, when I said my wife and I really love this story, we didn't see it as a, as a macabre uh, predictor of death kind of thing like Josh Bannett. We saw it as uh, a comforting thing that an animal provides, uh, was trying to comfort these people. So that's the way I took it. Is it? Yeah. There are other theories. Okay. All right, so Chuck, how could a cat possibly predict death, right? They can smell it, perhaps. Smelling is probably the likeliest answer. Yes. Uh, you know when you're sick, like when you have the flu? Mm-hmm. You don't smell quite right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You smell sick. That's gross. Like your breath is messed up. Yeah. There's some gunk coming out of your pores. Yeah. I, I, when I was sick over the course of the last like 80 podcasts, right. um, I, I was waking up with literally my eyelids pasted shut. From gunk that was coming out. And don't think that didn't smell, pal. Uh, you want to know more? No. Swine I, flu. I want to get back to uh, the cat smelling death. Okay, so smelling is a pretty obvious way. Apparently, as um, people's organs begin to shut down or fail, uh, the, there's the hypothesis that um, this would emit certain smells. Right, certain chemicals that humans cannot smell. What's that called when a cell uh, commits suicide? Uh, <laughs> Autolysis. Autolysis. Right. Uh, rigor job. mortis, baby. Um, so, okay, uh, the, the, I guess the, the, the sense is that as these cells begin to cannibalize themselves and break down and all their contents are released, it, it starts to emit a smell. That might attract Oscar, right? Right. Uh, but the cool thing is, is as you said, uh, he it's not like he just goes in and points like this one's next right. and then leaves he hangs out until the person's dead yeah he and then he leaves and, yeah that's that's what i took is that's the comforting part to me yeah and comforting think, or uh, you know you wonder if you could get the cat to leave right. maybe you got a second chance or something not true at all i wonder if people have ever tried to bargain with the cat like dude i'll totally get you more friskies if you just get out of here right or if one of the uh, people in the home that didn't like one of the other people left a little trail of kibble <laughs> right. <bed>. yeah <laughs> just to screw with the, yeah. the their fellow patient nursing home hygiene it makes you wonder chuck is it possible that oscar the cat is in fact the grim reaper uh he is not josh okay but that's just one example of what we're talking about which is animals having a sixth sense a what a sixth sense well said chuck thank you uh we already decided that chuck was going to say Six cents. And not me, because I can't say. Six cents. Yeah, thanks for the impression of each other. Sure. I have a speech impediment, it turns out. So, uh, should we talk about dogs next? Well, yeah, one of the, <clears throat> one of the things that's fascinating about Oscar is cats aren't, they're not, they don't do that. They're not empathetic. They're not supposed to do that. Yeah, they're, they're not known for being empathetic, right. for sure. Dogs are, mm-hmm. right? Um, dogs tend to be very, uh, happy, loving creatures. Right. And uh, so it would make more sense if Oscar was a dog. Sure, because dogs, uh, there's all kinds of anecdotal stories uh, about dogs detecting uh, cancer by smelling. And It's uh, not just anecdotal, my friend. Well. Mr. Stat Guy, I happen to have a study right here. Ugh, you're killing me. I have a 2006 study, right? Um, and I have no idea where it's from. Uh, but seems a little shaky to me. Quiet, you. <laughs> it's from Science Daily, pal. Okay, they don't print just anything. That's true. Um, it was a 2006 study where they took uh, 86 patients with cancer, 55 with lung cancer, and 31 with breast cancer, and these were confirmed cancer cases. Uh-huh. And then they used a control sample of 83 healthy people, right? And they actually took breath samples 
from uh-huh. these people and, and sealed them in special tubes. Uh-huh. And then they exposed them to these dogs. They had dogs sniff the different samples. And um, with a, uh, a 88 to 97% um, accuracy, thank you, uh, these dogs could pick out people with cancer. Really? Yep. Wow. So clearly there's some smells that we humans aren't aware of, aren't cognizant of. Right. You know, because we like to smoke and eat cheeseburgers and things like that. Sure. Um, that, that animals can sense, which would explain why you could detect cancer. And there's another study that showed that, um, dogs could detect, uh, bladder cancer in urine. Yes. So did, there you I have saw it. that one too. Thank you. And, uh, that, you know, that makes sense to me because animals certainly have different hearing, uh, capacities than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, high pitched sounds like dog whistles we can't hear. Uh, humans typically hear between 20 and 20,000 hertz. And uh, elephants, though, can hear between 16 and 12,000, and cattle can go all the way up to 40,000. So that's why when animals are said to predict weather and earthquakes and things like that, that and barometric, uh, barometric pressure changes, they pick up on these things when humans don't. So it's not exactly that they have a sixth sense, but they use the five senses uh, are more heightened than humans are. That's interesting that you say cattle can hear better than anybody else. Why is that? Well, because I was reading in this article, it mentions the 2004 tsunami and how there were so few animal carcasses found. Yeah. Because so many animals acted strangely and, and basically headed to higher ground right, right. before the tsunami hit. The animal that they found the most of were cattle. Yeah. So maybe they know and are just like, I don't have a whole lot to live for. I'm just going to let right. death take me now. Or maybe they you know, had a harder time getting out of there. And heading to higher crown. I don't know. Yeah. That's just one theory. So, okay. So Oscar may be in a league of his own by predicting death. But, yeah, there there is tons of anecdotal evidence that animals, um, especially dogs, can uh, sense illness. Right? Right. Um, there, was a, there was a chihuahua that uh, a woman in England owned who um, said that her dog detected breast cancer. Oh, I thought you were going to say Taco Bell. No. Awful. It was. Uh, detected breast cancer three different times in her. Really? Which sucks she had breast cancer three different times, yeah. but her chihuahua is like, you got breast cancer, hun. Interesting. And uh, there was a uh, a person in, uh, with a Dalmatian. I don't know where uh, he or she was from, but um, the Dalmatian kept smelling this freckle on the on the owner's arm, and it turned skin out- Skin cancer? Skin cancer. Wow. Isn't that weird? I believe it, man. Why not? Like I always say. Why not? I mean, what do we know <laughs> as humans? I mean, who knows? Maybe animals can totally smell these things. Should, yeah. we, should we go to epilepsy? I think we should. I uh, think we totally should. This is something that's it's kind of controversial. Um, one of the great failings, in my opinion, of science is that if it can't readily explain something immediately, then it's just it poo-poos it. Yeah. And But it's looking more and more like... Which is the scientific term for discredit, I think. Yeah. Poo-poo. Poo-poo. Sorry. Um, it, it, it is looking more and more like uh, dogs can sense epilepsy. Now, I think one of the misleading things in these two articles, can animals predict death and can a dog really predict a seizure, is the use of the word predict. Right. There is no prediction. I was um, reading this awesome article on CNN, and uh, it was about a woman named Calise Johnson. Mm-hmm. And she has... Um, epilepsy and cerebral palsy. Okay. So if she has a seizure, she is in trouble. Right. She, she runs, she's in a wheelchair and she has to wear a helmet all the time because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually recently got a, a dog, 
that is a um, seizure sensing dog. Right. Epilepsy trained. Seizure alert dog. Right. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, now, there's all sorts of seizure response dogs. This is established fact. Right. Dogs can be trained to um, uh, basically go get help. Right. Uh, bring food or a blanket. Um, some lay on top of their owners while they're yeah. having seizures God, to like that part. to keep um, yeah to keep from any kind of uh, uh, further injury or right, something right. like that. Um, this is different though. Totally different. Yes. Because that's a response. It. Right. This is an alert. Um, she has a dog that she got actually Chuck from up the street in Alpharetta, Georgia. There's a group called Canine Assistance. Really? Yeah. And um, in uh, the last few years, they've trained 100 seizure dogs. Wow. Um, and they actually, this is the cool part. Seizure dogs um, tend to be one of the more expensive dogs. Oh, yeah, like 10 grand? 20. Really? 20 grand for a dog to train and, and keep it healthy and fed over its lifetime. Wow. Right? That's um, a lot of money. Yes. Oh, uh, that's for the lifetime. Yeah, veterinary okay. care, that kind of thing. Gotcha. But that's way more than the average dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, the cool thing about canine assistance is that they, they, the people who get their dogs get them for free. And they actually fly the people, their, their dog's recipients out to Atlanta oh, really? to hang out with the dog for two weeks. They pay for everything. They wow. They pay for airfare, um, lodging, food, the whole shebang. Awesome. Um, and they actually also pay for the dog's veterinary and food bills for the rest of its life. Really? Yeah. That is a great organization. Say it, their name isn't again. Isn't that great? Uh, it's a Canine Assistance out of Alpharetta, Georgia. That's awesome. And they are doing some good in the world. Um, but anyway, there in this article, there were two funny well, one was terribly ironic. The other was kind of funny. Um, the the uh, the uh, researcher, a neurologist, uh, who was poo-pooing the concept <laughs> that um, dogs can predict seizures. Uh-huh. Uh, his name is Dr. Gregory Barkley. Oh, Barkley, gotcha. You gave me this look, and I was like, I'm missing something here. And he said, and I actually agree with him. He he points out that the dogs can't predict seizures, um, but that it's actually responding to an earlier stage of the seizure, right? Before the patient is aware that the seizure is going on. Okay, like a eye movement or dilation? eye, eye dilation, uh-huh. possibly a smell, something that the patient's not aware of. Right. And the big problem with seizures is that if you're driving a car, yeah, yeah, and you have a seizure, so long. Right. And right. I, I know that um, the, the ones who are good at this, the dogs that are good at this, can predict anywhere. I mean, sometimes it's like 30 seconds, which is enough time to pull a car over. But this one lady said that she gets about a 30 to 45 minute heads up yeah. from her, her dog. So did uh, Ms. Johnson. I oh, think really? she gets anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. And uh, this, this dog that she just got uh, last year named Ben, mm-hmm. um, he's actually her second Here's oh, the really? uh, here's the horribly ironic oh, no. thing. Um, she had another great seizure dog for 12 years named McKeever, who actually uh, helped her through the, her roughest times. She was having m- many more seizures. I think uh, I, I think about 10 a week, maybe, and it's actually gone down since then. But he was really working overtime. Right. She had him for 12 years until 2007 when he died after having his own seizure. Oh boy! Isn't that awful? Yeah, this podcast officially became one that my wife will not listen to. I will steer her away from this. Yeah, dogs having seizures is kind of sad. That is sad. Yeah, but, but yeah, uh, God, yeah, what an irony there. So it is possible for a dog to, to uh, again, we shouldn't use the word predict a seizure. And they don't necessarily have to be trained, right, Chuck? Aren't some of them just Naturally. household pets that are picking yeah. up on this just from living around people with epilepsy, yeah. right? and I think they've also decided that it's uh, not breed-specific either, so it's not... I don't think they found any specific breed has been any better than than the next. Right. Is that true? 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I remember. Reading I that. think it's uh, the impression I have is that it's more exposure to epilepsy than right. anything else, and looking for signs and cues. Right. And then the second stage is learning to not be afraid of what happens when the owner's eyes roll back and right. his or her head, and they start trembling. And then they alert. They all have their different ways of alerting. Some paw at them. Some uh, lick their hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, think walk around in circles or make uh, close eye contact. So it's pretty cool. They have their different messages they'll send the owner. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I don't think so, Josh. I would like to say um, one of the things I, I have read in researching this was that um, the people, since it's not proven, and since if it, if it does work, if a dog can sense a, a seizure early on, uh, just from being around someone with epilepsy, um, I read over and over again that people are kind of warned from staying away from um, dog breeders or trainers right. that charge you like twenty grand for right. a dog. Um, especially with, with groups like canine assistants out there doing lots of good. Yeah, and they can never guarantee, too. That's the other takeaway I had is that Agreed. doctors say that this can be, you know, can be a good thing, but it's certainly not a fail-safe, and you should never, uh, like, rely on this as your only means of, of uh, helping yourself out if you have sure. a seizure. But at, at the end, even if the dog's hitting 50%, it's and they, still pretty right, good. Right, and they, and they also, doctors say, they do provide the companionship and yeah. the... And the and all the other good things. That Ultimately, you have a dog. Life. And right. how can you go wrong when you got a dog? Exactly. My dogs, the only thing they can predict is 5 o'clock uh, dinner time. Yeah. And so, where am I? What does that leave me? <laughs> um, feeding the dogs, buddy. Yeah, feeding the dogs. Yeah. It's their world, and I'm just living in it. If you want to learn more about animals and their uh, sixth senses... How was that? Sixth sense. Type in uh, animals and predict in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, that leaves us with only one possibility, the possibility that it is time for listener mail. It is, Josh. This is part two of uh, high fructose corn syrup replies. Seriously? Dude, I'm telling you, these, for some reason, corn brings out the smarts. Okay. Because these people were awesome and it was not just... uh, Fluff. Okay. Like so many fan mail. No, I'm just kidding. Wow, Chuck. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, this is from Wynn in Los Angeles. And Wynn says uh, he wants to add a little bit to, about what we said about HFCS. He said, you said it was very cheap and that's why it's used to such extent. True enough. But what you did not mention, and we had a couple of people write in about this, is that the price of HFCS is kept artificially low by the policies of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. The U.S. government has placed a quota on sugar imports to the U.S., in order to protect the domestic sugar producers. In sugar's case, they're called tariff rate quotas. So that provides uh, for a low tariff on certain quantity, which is a quota amount, and a higher tariff on any quantity above that level. So this creates an artificial shortage of sugar that drives up U.S. prices and supports American sugar growers. But it also makes sugar a very expensive product. Just to give you an idea, last year the price per pound of sugar in the United States was about 55 cents. And the world price was about 18 cents. Wow. Isn't that amazing? God, I wish I lived in Portugal. Right. Uh, in contrast, Josh, HFCS runs about 25 cents per pound. What? So it is no surprise that when President Reagan drastically lowered the quota for sugar in the 80s, driving up the domestic price way, way up, uh, the major soft drink makers switched from sugar to high fructose corn syrup. So there you have it. Well, thank you, Gipper. Yeah. If the, uh, if the sugar mar- market in the U.S. was unrestricted... There would be no economic incentive for anyone to use HFCS, and those quotas would be removed from the sugar market. Is uh, that they would be removed is uh, pretty much impossible now. 
because there's too much money at stake. So we had other people write in about this, and uh, that's, that seems to be what's going on. It's fascinating. Yeah, so thank you, Wynn, in Los Angeles. You are a super fan, an awesome field reporter, we'll call you. Yeah, you know what? We should start saying what we're going to do in the future and let people tell us ahead of time. Then we can work it into the podcast and give them zero credit for it. That's true. Field reporters. We have field reporters now. Yeah. I reporters. I report. So if you wanted to I report for us or just say hi or be like, what up, yo? Send us a uh, an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Should Know blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?